Welcome to Voices of E-Learning, reflecting the people living and breathing the future of education and online learning with your host, J.W. Marshall. Hello and welcome everyone to today's episode of Voices of E-Learning. I'm your host, J.W. Marshall from MarketScale, and we are so glad that you found us today. Our guest on this episode is a returning guest from last fall. Uh, we've got Tony Wan from EdSurge, the managing editor at EdSurge, with us. Tony, how are you doing today? Hey, J.W. I am doing fine, and thank you for having me back. Absolutely. And uh, a lot has changed since uh, we had you on about six months ago. Um, but I, I'm reached out to get you on this episode because of another recent article that you published uh, in January. Uh, and I'll just read the title and we can dive right into what this means for uh, EdTech. And the title is A Record Year Amid a Pandemic, U.S. EdTech Races $2.2 billion, with a B in 2020. Um, let's jump right in and just tell us what happened. Well, that, uh, that is certainly a big number. Um, $2.2 billion is the most amount of investment capital raised uh, by U.S. tech companies, I believe, uh, ever, uh, at least, or at least since we started tracking these numbers in 2010, 2011. So, you know, $2.2 billion is a big number, or you can put it in perspective and say that's just like one fundraising round for, you know, a, a, a big, a hot Chinese tech startup, you know, so I want to put that in perspective a little bit. But um, at least for the U.S. Uh, market, I think it really shows, um, you know, there's the, the, the pandemic has really accelerated uh, not just a lot of the underlying tech trends that we've been following in education, but along with that, it's also attracted a lot of uh, existing and also new money from investors in this space. Yeah, and and the number from last year was uh, from 2019 was 1.7 billion. So that's 30% increase, um, which I'm guessing is much higher than from 18 to 19. Um, and that was across over 100 deals. I think you quoted 105 deals. Um, what, what of that 105 deals, is there a handful that made up a big segment of that or um, a specific niche in ed tech that is uh, really kind of leading the way? Or has it been kind of spread across the board? Uh, a couple of things. I think one of the buckets of companies that were that raised uh, a lion's share of the investments were education companies that were targeted more for the consumer space. Um, so they were either selling services or access to online courses directly to consumers. Um, and I think that this is a reflection of the fact that because of the pandemic forcing a lot of learning into homes, um, into uh, people's living rooms, that, um, you know, it kind of found uh, the, this new this new environment, environment became the place where people could access uh, educational materials because, of course, schools uh, were closed. So some of these big consumer companies, um, you know, the, the top deal went to a company called Roblox, which I think most people would know more as like a consumer gaming company for kids. But they also have a growing footprint uh, in being a platform with resources that teach kids how to code and make their own games. So uh, there's a little bit of a caveat to that. Um, but other big deals, um, well, Roblox raised $150 million in around in 2020, and I think they raised even more just in 2021, but I forget what the number is. 
Um, another big uh, fundraiser went to Masterclass. You might see ads for them. I'm seeing a lot of Masterclass ads where you know you get to take courses, video courses from celebrities and, and experts. You know, from the likes of Gordon Ramsay, from Steph Curry. Um, don't quite know if you know results are guaranteed. I did ask them that, but you know that's another that's that's a company that really is trying to blend and mix education with entertainment. Other kinds of um, consumer ed tech companies that that were some of the top fundraisers were companies like Course Hero and Brainly, uh, both of which offer uh, online repositories of study uh, study aids and resources and a community where you can ask people for help. And so perhaps with a lot of uh, you know kids learning from home and not having as much access to uh, you know in person teachers uh, or instructors as, as as they would normally have. That's, um, you know, apps like these, um, you know, certainly saw a surge of usage and attracted a lot of uh, money as well. Uh, and the final kind of bucket I want to share are these companies that provide adult learning services um, that are very tied to job skills uh, or vocational training. Uh, we saw Udacity uh, and Lambda School also um, raise some pretty big rounds. And, you know, I think that this may be a reflection of the uh, shifting labor markets uh, and the impact on jobs and the need for upskilling that the pandemic has uh, affected and forced. Usually they say that uh, education is kind of counter-cyclical to the market in that when a lot of people are displaced uh, by any economic crises, uh, they usually go back to colleges uh, or higher ed uh, institutions to to skill up, to retrain so that they're ready for you know, whenever economy, economy rebounds. Um, but now we're seeing the emergence of these uh, bootcamp providers, uh, these services that are shorter, uh, maybe less expensive, and much more targeted towards job training that are also uh, taking off. So that's kind of the, uh, you know, my, that, that, that's how I carve up the different kinds of companies that raised uh, some of the biggest rounds in 2020. That, that's a perfect recap. And I'll jump on uh, the last segment there. Um, as you said, typically this would be a surge in uh, learners going back to degreed programs, but with COVID, there's actually drops in those numbers of enrollments, uh, learners wanting to wait a year to go back, traditional uh, college-age learners. Um, so it's really interesting that um, this is a brand new opportunity for the micro-credentials and for the the adult learner online learning platforms to really be a kind of a perfect storm. They've been around for a while, a number of years, and have been growing. But uh, would you agree that this has really been a, a boom for, for that entire market? Yes, um, I would say so. And I would also say that some of these alternative providers are also partnering uh, with colleges um, to, uh, to offer these training services as well. Um, and I think that's a win-win on both sides, right? Some of these existing colleges, um, you know, have an existing kind of network and brand uh, and distribution and can get the word out. Um, but they need, um, if, if they're not offering some of these vocational programs, you know, they need someone to come in and help, you know, set those programs up and provide that. So um, I'm seeing some interesting partnerships happen in this sense of uh, companies that are helping to provide uh, or working with, let's say, liberal arts colleges to build, uh, you know, a data science program, for instance. So I think there is um, evidence of a kind of a, these partnerships that can be a win-win for both sides. 
I love that. And we definitely saw just in general the ed tech community come together in a lot of ways in 2020 uh, beyond what it already, you know, does as a a pretty tight knit community. And I I would also agree that this has been a way for colleges and universities to partner with uh, third party businesses in a way that maybe they wouldn't have been as open to in uh, prior years. But it feels like they're seeing the benefit. And this is something that's not just a, a Band-Aid for 2020, 2021. This is really going to be the way that a lot of education is administered moving forward to, you know, put your get your crystal ball out for a little a bit here in 21, 22. Um, do you see a lot of this kind of reversing and going back post-pandemic? Or is a lot of this change kind of here for good? And, and is it going to keep accelerating? I think when it comes to higher ed, these trends of declining revenue and enrollment and campus closures were kind of already happening before the pandemic. And I think the pandemic just put increased pressure um, on um, on colleges to, um, you know, change what they're, you know, change what they do or rearticulate their value proposition so that they, uh, you know, I think it increased pressure on uh, career placement, right? And not just, not just graduation. And so I think that uh, these kinds of partnerships, uh, I would hope and I would think, expect them to continue to go on uh, in the future. I think, look, if you're one of the big brand names like the Ivy Leagues or Stanford, I think you'll be fine. I think you're that, you know, that that brand, the power of that brand, those networks, those connections, um, that means a lot. And you, could, you can live and you can continue living off of that. But I think for the many of the other colleges, you know, I think there's uh, increased pressure to kind of show you know, what you are delivering in terms of outcomes for students. And I think that there's a big need right now in, in the labor market for you know, grad, you know, qualified graduates to fill some of these new jobs that are going to be emerging um, past the pandemic. Absolutely. And there's even a lot of uh, experts uh, that are foreseeing the big names, the Ivy League, some of the big Division One schools probably will end up um, acquiring some of these other middle-class schools um, and bringing them into their systems to help keep them afloat. Uh, and and then kind of the first tier, the community colleges and trade schools uh, are going to be thriving because a lot of uh, learners are going to be more um, in line with wanting that kind of uh, education. So it'll be interesting to see how it, it pans out in the middle uh, for higher ed. Um, shifting back to, to K-12, you also mentioned the article that uh, while, while big numbers uh, are generally welcomed by the financiers, uh, you know, s- there's also this ed tech explosion because there was a little bit of a, a system breakdown in K-12 um, that uh, is necessary to have this investment and kind of rebuilding the infrastructure. Talk a little bit more about um, that area. Yeah, so in K-12, we didn't see too many K-12 institutional sales uh, startups, or in other words, companies that were selling to K-12 schools as their primary business model raised big rounds. Um, I don't think that's an indication necessarily an indication of indictment of that market. I think that there were plenty of K-12 uh, you know, companies that did uh, that did pretty well that had pre- raised money in previous years, that also that saw substantial uh, uptake and an and, and adoption uh, during 2020. So companies like uh, you know, like Kahoot, like Nearpod, uh, Flocabulary, I think those were uh, companies certainly did very well. Um, but I would say that you know, as a market, I think that the K-12 market has always kind of been you know a little bit iffy for the generalist investors or investors who don't understand the 
the, the, the complexities and nuances of the K-12 market that might, you know, that might seem uh, a little bit frightening uh, to them. Um, but, you know, I think that the, uh, there were some K-12 companies that were offering services to consumers, uh, things in the form of small uh, online, uh, small group online classes um, that I think rate, you know, raise uh, some fairly substantial amounts of money that, um, that I think were, were what some investors were kind of like more interested in. So these were essentially companies that already had a, a track record and the underlying tech infrastructure to, uh, to be able to offer uh, basically small online classes in ways that may be more optimal or user friendly than what, uh, you know, schools or districts could provide on, you know, on, on, on a dime. Right. And so um, for parents who understandably want to do and will, are willing to pay, you know, for the best experience for the kids, um, I think these companies certainly saw uh, an uptick in usage uh, for their kinds of services. Um, there's not that's not to say that like the K-12 market is necessarily uh, kind of in a bad shape in, in any way. I think that some of the inequities that are going to be uh, that have surfaced during the pandemic will mean that a lot of uh, kids, when they come back into schools, they're going to be at very different levels. Um, you know, we see reports about learning loss and the extent of learning loss and how inequ inequitable that is across people from different socioeconomic and racial backgrounds. So there is going to be a need for a lot of catching up. Uh, and I think that there are existing, there are a lot of existing digital services in K-12 that provide supplemental instruction to do that. Um, you know, I think some of the CARES Act funding, uh, it, it, they, they do have stipulation for, le for learning loss mitigation. And so, um, you know, I think there will be pockets in, of money uh, for that as well. One, as you say in your article, it is the tale of two markets, um, that there's both that opportunity there, but also um, K-12 is taking a big hit, not only with budgets this year, but as uh, you know, the budgets for K-12 schools typically will uh, lag by a year and don't foresee that uh, going up, but probably even going down a little bit more going into next year. Now, again, as you mentioned, you know, some of the CARES Act and the federal money coming in is going to help maybe uh, offset some of that, but it probably isn't going to be a, a big booming uh, market here for the next year or two. Yeah, uh, well, at least not in the sense that, uh, you know, the consumer space or the, uh, you know, the workforce development space, what we just talk, uh, talked about will be. I think there's a lot of like wait and see um, uh, to see what the new administration does and how quickly you can roll out and deploy uh, and put those funds to use. Uh, another area that I thought was really interesting in the article I'd love you to speak a little bit about is uh, the section titled, It Pays to Be Known. Uh, give us a little background on, on what you meant by that. Uh, what we saw in 2020, um, there was one week um, where there were two companies raising seed rounds that were probably eight times as much as you would see in a normal seed investment, building almost exactly the same kind of tool. Uh, and I'm talking, one of those companies is a company called uh, Class EDU, uh, and its founder is Michael Chasen, who um, you know was the co-founder and I think former CEO of Blackboard, right, which is one of the biggest names of the industry. Um, so he comes back and he decides to uh, build a, uh, you know, build a suite of tools that basically makes uh, the Zoom classroom experience uh, a lot better, a lot smoother. Uh, and he's raised $16 million. Um, and I think that same week or maybe the week after, um, there was another effort by the, you know, the husband of Coursera co-founder, Daphne Caller, 
who was trying to build something similar, but for but but for higher ed to recreate some of the dynamics uh, that you that you would normally find in a, in a lecture hall or in one of the seminar rooms in, in higher ed. So I just thought it was really interesting, curious to see like the timing of these two deals, which were respectively sixteen million dollars and fourteen and a half million dollars, which is huge for a seed round, um, which are led by you know former you know, recognizable and accomplished names uh, in this industry. And, you know, I think that it just it just comes to show that, you know, like if you're, you know, former proven ed tech entrepreneurs, um, they were really like riding that tailwind. Um, the fact that you can raise this amount of money before even launching a product, right, is always, you know, a sign that a market is maybe a little bit too hot. Yeah, well, and, and kind of related to that, the average deal size, I think you had a great breakdown there. Um, pretty steady for uh, your angel and seed investments and your Series A, but the Series B really took a jump um, in 2020, and the uh, the Series C and beyond kind of dipped down a little bit. Um, give us your thoughts on why you think we saw those trends. Uh, I think in general, I think with a lot of new money coming in, um, investors like to bet on proven horses. Uh, and if they are just looking, uh, you know, purely by, you know, the numbers, right? If they're investing, you know, as I say, like making investment decisions based on numbers in a spreadsheet, um, you generally do want to put, uh, you generally, you know, bet on the established companies, the established names out there that have uh, existing brand recognition and existing business that people know about. Um, and so, you know, we saw companies like Duolingo, uh, like Udemy, uh, and like Quizlet, you know, raised, uh, you know, money. And so I think that's just a, you know, a, a trend that, that we saw that um, in a market that's hot, I think the people who are already known are going to be attracting, you know, more attention than maybe some of the others. I love that. And it's just a huge uh, shift from 2019 where uh, the Series B was fairly flat and the Series C and beyond was a huge um, uptick um, because people were going public and it was, you know, a, a good year for EdTech. Um, the, the next section I thought maybe was the most interesting, um, talking about where the money goes because so much has changed right, in uh, 2020 that um, your your funding isn't going to necessarily buying uh, buildings or big office spaces uh, or hiring a bunch of people. Um, talk to us a little bit about those trends of, of where this uh, record number, $2.2 billion, is going. Yeah, so this is an al- a new uh, level of analysis I did for this, uh, for this uh, edition of, of my annual roundup. And it kind of came about because we saw a lot of stories in the press that, oh, everyone's leaving San Francisco and going to cheaper places uh, or, you know, moving, the, you know, you know, people moving the headquarters elsewhere. And, you know, I think based on what I was reading, uh, you know, about this trend on a broad level, wanted to see, you know, what a distribution of investment capital was uh, as it relates to ed tech. Um, what I found is that, you know, it's just as far as do- uh, just strictly going by dollars, um, I don't think the capital has really followed these trends. We're still seeing the vast uh, majority of the $2.2 billion, uh, in the U.S. go to places in the San Francisco Bay Area uh, and, you know, followed by New York. Um, we're seeing, you know, we're seeing some, um, you know, other pockets emerge in places like Pittsburgh, which is where Duolingo is based in, in Austin. Uh, in Seattle, um, you know, these, you know, other, I, I don't want to say second tier, but these other like cities where I think a lot of tech entrepreneurs are also moving to. So 
All that, all that to say, like currently, most of the money are kind of still in the usual, usual suspect regions. In the U.S., but I love how you leave us with a little bit of a cliff, cliffhanger, um, talking about how our 2.2 billion in the U.S. really pales in comparison um, to the rest of the world, and uh, a lot of that uh, uh, is being spent in China and India, accounting for over 77 percent of the total spend, which. Um, uh, how on IQ was uh, estimating at 16 billion. Um, I know it's a little out of your s- scope of this uh, uh, report, but can you talk to us a little bit about what's happening in the rest of the world? I think that um, you know, especially in China, um, there's um, it's just a hot and a big market uh, for online education, uh, and so I think that some of the infrastructure and some of the enthousi- yeah, existing enthusiasm. Uh, and even you know the fact that the you know the, the the education system can be run pretty much top down. They can kind of mandates uh, these man you know these top down mandates do allow for um, more or less the quicker adoption uh, of um, digital tools or processes or you know whatever they want to decide. Right, um, Baiju's uh, has been a name that 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 kept on recurring and popping up uh, over over the course of 2020, and they are just raising massive amounts uh, of capital. Um, you know, they're they call it deck. I learned about this word called a decacorn, which is um, uh, ten times a unicorn in the sense that it's worth over ten billion dollars, um, based on private valuations, based on all the money that it's raised, and. I think Baijus is, uh, you know, certainly shown that it has a very, very big footprint in India, and I think it's a, uh, it's ex- trying to expand its online learning app elsewhere through acquisitions. So, I think that a lot of the money that they raised are being used uh, to acquire, um, you know, other pieces on its platform. Um, I also know that they uh, also are uh, very big, uh, big marketing spenders as well. So, I think some of the money is to. Um, you know, is to support those uh, efforts to keep on growing the brand. Makes total sense. Um, Let's kind of uh, start to wrap up here with a couple more thoughts on just overall with all of these trends uh, that that you saw in 2020 and reported on, which one was the most surprising to you? I think the top number is surprising. Uh, One of the things I didn't go into in my piece are the uh, exit opportunities. Right. I think people will invest money if they think they're going to make money. Uh, and so we saw a couple of, um, you know, pretty fairly sizable acquisitions uh, in 2020 in the U.S. ad tech industry. Um, one of them was uh, made by a, a company formerly known as K12, which is now called Stride. They, they bought a boot camp uh, to expand the adult learning services. Uh, we also saw a uh, publisher, Discovery Education, acquire a startup called Mystery Science for $140 million, which is not, you know, in the grand scheme of things, not that huge of a number, but relative to how much that company had raised, uh, you know, that was a good exit for uh, its early investors. So we're seeing, uh, you know, exits uh, and the dollar values on these exits uh, appear to be attracting investors as well. Um, of course, there's a, I think Coursera is rumored to be weighing and uh, considering an IPO and as are Udemy and Duolingo. And so, you know, I think the, uh, you know, these, the, these cash out, you know, companies or examples that you need to sustain this momentum. Um, you know, I think there is, um, there is some, uh, there, there is some there, there, right. In terms of the exits that we're going to see. 
I think one of the things that do that does kind of seem awkward or maybe weird to me or maybe a little bit a sign of a, of a frothy market are the fact uh, the whole SPAC uh, phenomenon, you know, the, the, the special purpose acquisition companies. Uh, and we're seeing some of these in, in ed tech as well. There's like around like half a dozen uh, right now. And um, most investors I talk to are a little bit uh, skeptical of SPACs uh, because historically they were um, considered backup vehicles for companies that couldn't otherwise IPO normally. Uh, and so there's a sense that the emergence of SPACs in ed tech is just a symptom of, uh, of a bull market where you've just got a lot of private capital that's waiting to be deployed. Um, and so you're seeing this across both the institutional and consumer habits as well. So um, one of the people who recently just raised uh, and, uh, and, and you know, got a SPAC listed is Michael Moe. Uh, who's the former, uh, or I think he's part of, he's the founder of GSV. He's got very, you know, many titles affiliated with the GSV network uh, of uh, investment and services, but he's one of the early investors in Chegg and a lot of other ed tech companies. So um, I'm watching the SPAC thing with a little bit of curiosity as well. Um, because that, um, trying to always see, you know, when you see this amount of capital and activity for, uh, in any industry all at once uh, from new investors, from new names, um, there are going to be some signs whether this, this can last uh, or whether this is going to pop. Yeah, and I know we talked about that about six months ago. That trend was really picking up. There, there were new investors into the space. And so it's interesting here at the six-month mark uh, from that conversation how that's continued. And it'll be interesting to have you back on in about six months, hopefully, to uh, touch base again, maybe a semi-annual kind of update. Um, but on that point, uh, it, do we run the risk? It seems like a lot of the folks I talk with in, in ed tech are feeling like the market was already getting saturated with offerings, especially curriculum and, you know, ed tech, you know, platforms. Um, there's the market is only so big. Um, I guess when you talk about just K-12 or higher ed, now the consumer market obviously is much bigger. And maybe that's why we're seeing more investment there, um, as well as the pandemic keeping people home. Um, but but do you see po a possible correlation there with the SPACs coming, uh, that the market is just getting pretty saturated and harder to, to kind of cut through the noise? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would certainly say that for certain kinds of tools and platforms, it always... Uh, kind of it surprises me when I see another online tutoring platform, you know, for instance, I mean, not to, not, not to bash or rag on online tutoring platforms, but I think that I've seen so the market has so many of these kind you know, tools like that, that, um, they either, you know, they either fizzle out or there, there's either, a, there's either going to be a wave of consolidation that's going to happen. And I do think it's going to be more, uh, I do think it's likely that we will see some consolidation, of some of these uh, players who are all, you know, all jostling in uh, kind of similar spaces, uh, especially when it comes to uh, things like you know, curriculum uh, or communications uh, or, you know, or services that are kind of like learning management systems because um, choice is good, but I don't think this market can sustain too many. Makes sense. All right. Last question. Uh, we'll get the magic uh, crystal ball out one more time. And, and what, predictions would you have here for 2021 as far as a, a trend that you see continuing to accelerate or a new trend or maybe a trend that you think will fall off? I think that the blurring of the lines between K-12 and post-secondary and adult learning and job and workforce training, 
I think that's uh, only going to accelerate. And I think that has to accelerate because um, of the there's there's going to be a need uh, from the labor market um, for people to have to retrain and, and, and reskill uh, for new jobs. And I don't think higher ed, I don't think our current public education system uh, or current higher ed system uh, can shift that fast to really accommodate uh, the shifts that need to be happen. Uh, or it's already got, uh, you know, a lot, it's pretty overburdened already. And it needs, I think it needs help. And I think there are some companies and services that can provide those opportunities for, and for partnerships. And so I think we'll see a blurring of the lines, uh, you know, between higher ed and workforce. And even between K-12, maybe, you know, on the more the high school uh, level uh, and some of the career oriented kind of services uh, as well. I love it. And and it's funny, I feel like it used to be everything kind of started at higher ed and then worked its way to high school and then middle and elementary. And uh, in the last year or so, it seems like now this new ideas, these new technologies can start at any point and then kind of expand out, you know, from there and, and expand up um, and even from higher ed into uh, the workforce. So uh, as I've said in previous episodes, I I feel like all in all, this is uh, the dawn of the golden age of, of learning, of education, uh, not just ed tech and online learning, but education in general. These are all uh, really positive um movements and momentums and uh, and hopefully those trends will continue to create a better 2021 and and beyond uh tony it has been wonderful to have you on the show uh as usual which i can say now that you're a reoccurring guest um so thank you so much for your time today pleasure to be back and um maybe there'll be a third time around there you go and to my audience uh, thank you uh as usual for joining this episode be sure to check out past episodes on uh, our website and we'll look forward to seeing you next week thanks again and remember to always keep learning